All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Can you see it? Did you know? The puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice, Adam's Like, I don't, I don't cover the Canucks. Yeah. I cover Quinn Hughes and what he's doing to the Canucks. Just wave the guy and get Demko involved. I wanted them in in Valentine's Day. Wow. We should do a radio show together. <laughs> right on. I want to fist bump you right now. Pearl steals, cutting in, shoots, scores! Don't waste all the good stuff on the off air. Let's go. Hello Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. By the sound of my voice, 
you would think that the Canucks would have just won that game, but that is not the case. My name is David Guadrelli. As always, I am joined by the man who built the place, Chris Faber. Chris, how are you doing on this Tuesday evening? And it's not even that late. Usually we're getting ready right now. It would be like 15 minutes to puck drop right now, but instead, the Canucks have finished a game against the Montreal Canadiens. How are you doing, Chris? Good, man. Yeah, live uh, post-game report here coming from us on the Canucks conversation, but uh, I'm having a pretty good day. Are you having a good 12th birthday? Yes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, okay. Before before we do that, couple things to get out of the way. We are going to be joined by Corey Hergott, the long-anticipated return of Comets Corey to the show. Uh, I think I mentioned this, but this great podcast is brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. Use promo code Hockey Season for five dollars off your order. And what Chris was just alluding to. Yes, my twelfth uh, birthday, quote unquote. Canucks prospect Jet Wu was hosting a Twitch stream tonight where he was playing goaltender on NHL 21 on his PS5. Wyatt Arndt, the stanchion on Twitter, writes for The Athletic, uh, tweeted out the link to it and told everybody to go watch it. So the Twitch stream had about 66 viewers in it, one of those viewers being the very well-known Mr. Booth from Twitter. Uh, I was in the chat, I said hi to Vias uh, from Roxy Fever and we were just talking and Booth saw I was in the chat And what happened was, with all of the comments that were in the chat, those went on to Jet Wu's screen, so he could see what everybody was saying. So, um, (laughs) Booth goes, hey Jet, can you please wish my buddy Quads a happy 12th birthday? (laughs) And Jet Wu sees it, and he goes, Quads, happy 12th birthday, buddy. (laughs) The big big one, two. two. The big (laughs) one, two. And it was, it was gold like it was it was so funny you can go look and watch the clip it's posted on roxy fever's twitter account i think i'll I'll retweet it it's for sure going to be in the canucks army post game which you should be reading every night because that is that is some good stuff there and we just introduced the best of twitter segment which i'm sure chris you're just absolutely ecstatic about oh yeah absolutely uh the only problem is stefan roger every time he's on the post game the canucks just get pumped uh they didn't get too pumped tonight i mean you know five three they came back a little bit in the third period and that that was nice to see but uh we have a lot of jet Wu talk later on in that interview that you mentioned with Corey hergot that's uh that was a long one Corey and i haven't talked for a while uh you know we've been dming of course but it's a lot different uh, like i've always said with the show to hear someone's voice instead of seeing what they write down or what they tweet so Corey and i broke it down man it was it was 30 plus minutes uh chat about the utica comets the season what it's like having st louis's organization there uh, there's a lot to get to. That's probably going to be a bulk of the episode. I mean, we're going to have some stuff to get into here, but uh, we have the lease just around the corner too, so that's going to set up some excitement this weekend coming up here. But yeah, let's let's get right into the uh, the Canadians game. Uh, yeah, I, again, again, they absolutely handled the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, this this game was a little bit better. I think the Canucks actually showed some effort. Um, second period was okay for them. I thought the first period that you know coming out of there with a two goal deficit. Probably wasn't the worst. I thought it was pretty back and forth game. Like this was a much better game. You and I are are not on the media call today with with the post game with Travis Green and the players because we're obviously recording this podcast. But I feel like I feel like there's going to be some optimism coming out of that group. It just seems like this Montreal Canadiens team, the way they match up against the Canucks, is is a bad setup for for this Canucks team. They're just they're getting pressured by this Montreal Canadiens team, turning over the puck a ton. Uh, I thought they showed a little bit of fight in the third period, especially late. But through and through, this Canadiens team is just, just outmatched against the Vancouver Canucks. I mean, they they don't really have a chance Like coming into these games. like You feel like maybe something's going to snap and, and the Canucks are going to go 
get a win out of this. They got that one shootout win earlier in the season, but aside from that shootout win, like Montreal's handedly won, what is it now, five games? So they've yeah. won four out of five? Yeah, I mean, this this Canadiens team is no joke, man. They're playing really good hockey right now. Okay, now I ask you this, Chris, because yes, you, as you just mentioned, the Canucks do have one win over the Canadiens this year, a 6-5 shootout win, but in your opinion... Was this the most complete effort we've seen from the Canucks against the Habs this season? Because I would argue that it was. Like, I, I think that the Canucks played objectively better in this game than they did in the 6-5 win against the Habs. I think a lot of that had to do with Carey Price not being on his game that night. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that I think the Canucks played their best game against Montreal this year uh, in the game that we just watched here. It's definitely not yeah. their best game of the season, but against Montreal, yeah, it's... It was probably their best performance, and they did it with a with a shuffle to the top six lines, which I like. I'm just not a fan of of seeing Pearson play with Pedersen. There's something about those two that just doesn't work. There's something about Pearson and Horvat that works, and and I wouldn't really go away from that to be honest. I think that the lotto line should be back together. I think you've seen a lot of success out of the Horvat, Huglander, and Pearson line. So I I didn't I really didn't like that mix up from Travis Green going into this game. I know that. The night before, they had a really tough game through and through. The team just didn't look good at all. But, like, this top six is going to figure it out at some point. Not even the top six. Like, more like the lotto line. Like, the lotto line eventually is going to go out and single-handedly win you some games. And you've had success from that second line of Horvat, Huglander, and Pearson, like, all season long. I just, I don't like going away from those lines, to be honest. I didn't like the top six the way it was formatted today. Okay, so, with that in mind... You, you have to remember that the lotto line's just been pretty dreadful. Like, you know, on the last podcast, I got to eat crow a little bit on this one because on the last podcast, you said, yeah, the lotto line looked good against Ottawa, but they were still getting out chance. And I kind of played it off. I was like, ah, whatever. Like, I think, you know, I, I mentioned the Shabbat chance on Hughes that really didn't have much to do with the lotto line being on the ice, but it went against them. But, like, I don't know. They haven't looked great. And I understand why you would split them up, especially after last night's performance. Uh, You know, we're recording this on the second half of the back-to-back. I don't hate the move to switch up the lines. I just think that it was done incorrectly. Like, if, if I have to split up the lotto line, which I don't think is a horrible idea at this point, given how they've played, and especially Miller, like, I don't think a lot of people are talking about how you know, kind of dejected Miller looks. And like, you know, I don't like reading into body language or whatever, but you know, he, he looks dejected every time. Yeah. Every time something doesn't go his way, he just looks completely deflated out there. And, and it's happening you know, he, a lot, too. I mean, like, just little is, pucks yeah. that are bouncing over his stick or him not being able to pull it up from behind him into getting in front of him as he's entering the zone. Like, there's, yeah, it's just a lot of little things that Miller, I, I can see why he's frustrated. I mean, bounces just aren't going his way right now at all with the puck. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like, I, I totally get it, and, you know... It'd be funny if any of my old baseball teammates are listening to this because I was exactly like that. But again, I was, you know, I was a minor, you know, youth baseball player. You know what I mean? It wasn't like I, I was, you know, I feel like if you're at a higher level, you kind of have to get that in check. You know what I mean? I don't know. I yeah, just, you weren't, I uh, feel like you weren't no Brendan McCarthy out there on the field. We'll say oh, that. Oh no, no, no Brendan McCarthy out there. But this is what I'm thinking, Chris. Like there are guys out there who get mad and let it fuel them. Elias Pettersson's a pretty good example of that. You'll remember the game against Columbus gets a bad penalty called against him, visibly upset, comes out of the box, scores one of the nicest goals we've ever seen him score, okay? There's an example. There are also guys who let it get to them, and it starts to affect them negatively. I would say 
JT Miller's on the other side of that coin. Would you, like I don't know if you'd agree with that. Maybe I'm just uh, over exaggerating a bit, but I honestly like I think Miller's kind of you know getting upset about every play. It seems is kind of is starting to negatively affect him. I actually think. I think you're on to something with the skill part of Miller's game, but I think something that maybe he's like learned this over his career, but I think when he's struggling, he tries to get involved physically, right? I think that's the thing that he tries to do. We're seeing him, you know, throw a lot more hits, get involved physically. And I wonder if that is going to help spark him. Like, you know, this is a guy who's been around the league for a couple of years and maybe he knows what it is that can get him sparked and get him going a little bit. And, but I agree with you. I think the anger or whatever's going on in his game right now is, is I guess limiting his ability to just move the puck and be a skilled player who you play on your first line and play with skilled guys to you know generate goals. That's the point of having Miller on that line with that group is you need to win the goal share with that group. And, and yeah, like things just aren't going his way right now on the ice. And I think what he's trying to do is, is like I said, just get involved physically and maybe that'll lead to you know something else in the game bouncing your way a little bit more. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Like, yeah, he is throwing his weight around. You can see it. He. There's just a lot of a lot of pucks bouncing over his stick, it seems like. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, I think when you kind of look at it from that perspective, it kind of makes sense why he's so frustrated. It's just, I don't know, we, we've never really seen it from him, right? Like, you could, you know, this is a family show, so I can't repeat what he said, but there's been a few times on the broadcast, including tonight, where you can very clearly hear him yelling at the ref. Uh, and, you know, I don't know. Like, it's just... I don't know. I, I get he's frustrated, but let's let's not forget, like, the guy's got 11 points in, in 10 games I think he's played, which is, you know, like, that's that's over a point per game. You're happy with that kind of production, but it's just, like, something feels off. You know what I mean? So, I don't know. Like, that's yeah. that's enough to talk about Miller, I guess, but I guess my question well, to you, Chris... Well, to add to that, I mean, like, that okay. line that we just talked about there, that line of Miller, Horvat, and Besser... I mean, they're on the ice at 5-on-5 five five for two goals against tonight. That's not a great look for that group. I just, I I feel like that line could work, but at a certain point, like, like let's get it straight. Elias Pettersson is your best scoring threat on this team. I wouldn't take away the guys that help make him more of a scoring threat. That's the only thing. It's like Tanner Pearson just doesn't help Pettersson the way that they play. And I think that the right move, if you are going to make a move, might be JT Miller down to play with Horvat and Pearson because that line... Like, it feels like it fits. The way that they play feels like it fits. And then you move Huglander up to play with Pedersen and Besser. You know, that's a group of a trio. And I'm talking about the Horvat, or sorry, I'm talking about the Pedersen, Besser, and Huglander line. Like, that's a trio that's going to generate offense from, like, cross-ice passes, making the goaltender move, and firing from distance to score. All three of those guys, you know, specifically Pedersen and Besser, they can score from distance, right? I mean, that's the way that they've scored a lot of their goals. We saw early on in Pedersen's career how many goals he scored with Nikolai Goldobin as his line mate, and I can't believe I'm saying that guy's name on this podcast in 2021, but we saw how many goals they scored from, from distance, right? That was something that we could see. Elias Pettersson is able to do Brock Besser is able to do it and I think if you have Huglander on that line helping spread out the offense and just his tenacity because like man Huglander just continues to be one of the best on the forecheck right now for the Vancouver Canucks and I think that the top six uh, I guess little tweak that that Travis Green made like it wasn't the right one for me I just I think it made both lines worse to be honest with with the move that he made. Okay, that was actually what I was going to ask you. You kind of read my mind. I was going to ask you what you think of uh, what they should go with next game. Like, if you're in Travis Green's shoes, what's your lineup next game? And you said exactly what I was going to say. Like, that's what I was going to say. If you're going to split up the lotto line, I think Hoglander's the guy to go up there, right? And, like, honestly, I don't think he had a great game tonight. But you still, like, to his standards, 
that wasn't a great game, but it was still an objectively good game. Like, he goes so hard into every board battle, and he's so tenacious on the pockets. It's, it's ridiculous. Like, you know, we've said it time and time again, none of us saw this coming, but here we are, and Nils Hoglander's all of a sudden, like, an important key to the top six of the Vancouver Canucks. Speaking of which, Chris, the decision to bench Jake Vertanen and put Antoine Roussel in. Obviously, Roussel scores a goal. What were your thoughts on that decision by Travis? I saw I saw some tweets um, right as kind of game time started from Matt Sakaris. Did you hear this on the radio at all? The quote that Sakaris was saying? I mean, Sakaris has been wrong a few times, but also, like, this guy has a lot of connections, and he was saying, like, one more healthy scratch for Vertanen, and he's going to be demanding a trade out of here. I think that's what was said today on 1040. So... I like I wonder. I just I think that Jake Vertanen on this team in the current situation, like, yeah, unfortunately he's not gonna come in and be a top six player. But let's say any player in the Canucks top six goes down. Like centers, wingers, any of them goes down, Jake Vertanen's still the best option to come in and play in the top six for this Vancouver Canucks team. Like it's not gonna be Godhead, it's not gonna be Tyler Mott, you know, it's not gonna be Brandon Sutter. It's 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 gotta be Jake Vertanen. And he's in a weird spot because he can be used in a top six. Like, he can be. He might not be great in it, and we haven't seen it consistently, but still to this, like, even though he's a healthy scratch, somebody goes down in the top six, he's going to be the guy who gets plugged in there, I think. Oh, absolutely. Like, who else is there? That's the thing. And, okay, okay, here's the thing that I kind of want to point out. From an agent perspective, and the only reason I know this is because I was listening to Dolly Wall on 1040 today. He was saying, like, you know, when you request a trade organizations don't have to make the trade. Like, Sam Bennett requested a trade from Calgary. He's not going anywhere. Like, that's what that's what Brad for a Living said today. He said that they're in absolutely no rush to deal Sam Bennett. It's kind of just something you say, oh, okay, good to know. You don't want to be here. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get you out as soon as we can. But listen, if you're not, like, a star player that the team relies on, and you're not, like, I, I just don't think Jake Vertan, you know, you use the word demand. He asks for a trade, I think. I don't think Jake Vertanen's in any place to demand a trade. <laughs> Good point. You know what I mean? Good point, yeah. Like, I don't think he... I, honestly, I think if Jake Vertanen asks for a trade, that's that's only going to hurt him more. And I think it's just going to leave him in Travis Green's doghouse even longer, right? Like, that's the thing is, like, I don't know. Jake, Jake had a decent game on Monday, and he's yeah. back in the... You know, and, you know, rightfully so. Uh, Antoine Roussel was only out of the lineup for a health reason undisclosed but it was for a health reason like it wasn't like Travis was like no I don't like how Roussel's been playing let's give Jake a shot that's not what happened there was a reason that Roussel was out of the lineup that was out of Travis's control so yes Jake Vertanen was the guy that slotted in I thought he played decent but again like it's just you you have to be better than that if you're Jake Vertanen right you have to be better than Oh, well, you looked involved. It looked like you were kind of trying out there. So great job. You know, like you just have to be better. And honestly, if Jake Vertanen asks for a trade, like, look, we, we know when a player who's not a star player asks for a trade, you the GM's handcuffed immediately, right? Like it, it's tough to get proper value for that guy in return. So what, what are the Canucks looking at if they try to trade Jake Vertanen? Like, I'll kind of put you on the spot a bit here. Like, we'll, we'll do this before we go to break. What are the Canucks looking at in terms of a return? If Jake Vertanen asks for a trade tomorrow and the Canucks go, you know what? Let's do it. Yeah, I think, you know what? Like, the value that I think you can get for Jake Vertanen, it's obviously dropped a lot over the past couple years, but I think it's just above what you got for Thomas Vanek at the trade deadline. Like, I think it's a little bit higher quality player than Tyler Mott. Like, I think you might be able to get 
like the best return I could see for Jake Vertanen in a draft pick wise would be like a third round pick. I don't see a team giving up a top 60 pick for Jake Vertanen right now. I, I think if that deal is on the table, like anybody, I don't care if it's like the Tampa Bay Lightning and you're going to be picking 60th, like a second round pick for Jake Vertanen is a good move. I think the best trade you can possibly see is a third round pick, but Honestly, I thought similar things when Thomas Vanek was on the trade deadline or was on the trade block a few years ago. Now it's been a while, um, but I think you're getting just like a, a another guy who might slide into your fourth line, like Tyler Mott. Like I think you're that's the type of player you're kind of getting. I don't think that his like as a former first round pick and the way that he was drafted, the skill set that he has. There probably are some GMs and some coaches that would just be like, yeah, like, give me give me a run with this kid. He's not a, a terrible contract. He's a guy who probably fits into a lot of teams' top top nine, right? Like, he does. Like, I, he fits in the top three lines on a lot of teams. So I think that there's a chance. But in a weird season where the cap didn't go up, 2.5 is a decent hit. I I can't see it being much. And I, I really think the – even though, like, because you're in the situation with him – You've already signed him. You got him for this year. I don't think the trade is ever going to be worth it. And I think that's how the Canucks are looking at it as well. I don't think that any offer that they're going to get is going to be like, okay, yes, we need to trade Jake for this. This is this is a good deal for us. I just I think the Canucks value him too much to move on from him for the little amount that they'll get in return. So yeah, I'd say like a little bit of a a player that you know you're taking a shot on, like a Tyler Mott or a third round pick at the max, like at the max, I think. Yeah, I think I think you're in the you're in the right uh, right ballpark there. It was interesting. I actually saw a tweet. Someone was tweeting about after Mott's two goal game. Someone said, "Oh, trade Mott for a first round pick." And there was legitimately, I'm not gonna say who, I'm not gonna out anybody like that, but there was legitimately someone in the replies. I was like, "For what? To try and draft another Tyler Mott? No way!" <laughs> and I was just like, "What? Oh, you're not man. going for another Tyler Mott in the first round? You're going bigger than that!" Like, oh, it was. It was it was really funny, but yeah, that was you my favorite. You know what favorite, that sounds uh, like? That was my favorite Twitter take. That's a Facebook comment for sure. It was a Twitter take. It was on Twitter, wow. but yes, you would you would expect to see that on on Facebook underneath a Canucks Army article for sure. Yeah, somebody's uncle stumbled into Twitter and sent out that take. That's a bad take. <laughs> that's a, that's that is a tough take. I hope the person who sent it isn't a listener of the show. If so. We're just having a little fun. We uh, we love you. Thank you for listening to the show. But with that, we're going to cut to Corey Hergott. Chris, we've still got a lot to talk about on the other side of the break. So we're going to cut some ads. Then your conversation with Corey Hergott. Everybody already knows the story. I'm not able to be there when we do the, the three-way interviews, unfortunately, because just schedules and everything like that. And not easy to get us all in the same room for obvious reasons. So with that, we will cut to break. You are listening to the Canucks Conversation. Zephyr Epic is Canada's source for trading card games and sports cards. They ship free anywhere in Canada on orders over $50, and you can use promo code Hockey Season with a capital H and a capital S, all one word, Hockey Season, to get $5 off your order exclusively for Canucks Conversation podcast listeners. Be sure to join them live on Twitch for Epic Case Break openings. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Zephyr Epic, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic, on all platforms. Do you ever have a long work day where you just forget to hit the liquor store on the way home and then you got no beer for your game? Well, problem solved, folks. Same day delivery now from the folks at Parallel 49 Beer. That's right, the P49 crew is here and available on Uber Eats. 
all that brew directly to you with Uber Eats and Parallel 49's online store. Shop.Parallel49Brewing.com or check out more information on their Twitter and Instagram pages at Parallel49Beer. Oddshark.com is your home for sports odds, picks, betting, and futures. Speaking of futures, my big bet right now is taking Braden Holtby to win the Vesna. You've heard Chris and I talk about that if there's anybody that can get Holtby back, it's Ian Clark. So we bet, well, we, I say we, it was just me. I bet that Braden Holtby would win the Vesna. That's my big bet. Go make a play at Oddshark.com. All right, short and sweet one here for our friends at Mike's Hard Lemonade, the Blue Freeze. If you haven't tried it, folks, you need to get out and try the Mike's Hard Blue Freeze. By far my favorite alcoholic beverage on the market right now. If you're going to just enjoy a few drinks at a game or it's a Saturday night and you got a Zoom party with some of your friends, take yourself down to the BC Liquor Store which or your local liquor store, wherever you get drinks, pick up some Mike's Hard Blue Freeze, the best tastiest drink on the market right now center ice got it forward nice move McEwen into the goal and he scores what a play by Zach McEwen who draws the comments to within one a little shimmy shake Folks, we are back. You know it from the intro song. It's been quite a while, but now with the AHL season just about to begin here on Friday, we better bring on the man himself, Corey Hergott, to talk about this Utica Comets team. Corey, how are you doing so far? It's been a long time. It has been a long time, Chris. I'm uh, I'm to be back. I'm I'm doing well. It's uh, it's been a restful little bit of time off. I've uh, called a lot of things, getting some projects done around the house and uh, some uh, some rack builds and amp builds and. St- I'm ready to get back to hockey now. Absolutely. And uh, now that you're back with us at Canucks Army, it's going to be a little different um, little different content coming from you, I think, is what we've changed over the past couple of years from what I've heard anyways. Um, the cool thing, I heard you on the PP1 podcast talking about it, and the thing that I'm excited for, you know, without doing so many pre- and post-games, you're going to actually have some time to, to write some stories about these guys, not only on the ice, uh, but something that I think people have enjoyed about your content is the stuff off the ice as well. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff I really want to be able to try to dig into this year. Uh, it might be a little bit challenging being, you know, a compressed COVID sort of a stint to, to make all this work. But uh, at the very least, we're going to the groundwork to, to do this stuff. But, definitely, uh, you know, like I said on with the PP1 guy, it's uh, there's great stories to be told, stuff that happens on 
be what happens on the ice for the most part. But uh, I'd love to dig into some of these stories of these guys off the ice and, uh, you know, kind of what got them to where they are, the people that helped them along, the kind of advice they've gotten along the way and and that sort of a thing. I, I like the, the human side of hockey almost as much as I like, uh, you know, the action on the ice. So I'd love to be able to dig into that kind of st- that kind of content and that kind of material. So, uh Fingers crossed we can make a bit more of that happen this season. Yeah, no doubt. I think you will be able to because, I mean, Corey, you've been covering this Utica Comets team from literally, like, the opposite side of the continent. Uh, Does this Zoom format and kind of COVID situation help you, I guess, a little bit now that, uh, you know, you're not on the ground like some of the guys are there, but now since nobody's really in the arena with a microphone in a player's face, like, is this kind of benefiting your content, do you think? I don't know if it benefits it uh, so much, but it uh, it's it hasn't hurt uh, kind of the way I do things. That's for sure. I mean, uh, I've been doing this, you know, from distance from the get go for for me to do what I've been doing. So, uh, you know, the the Zoom thing is nice. Uh, it's not something that we kind of thought of last year. I, I, towards the end of the season, I had worked it out with the the people on the ground in Utica to kind of have a laptop set up on the backup goalie's stool for uh, the post-game uh, uh, scrums. And I got to do a little bit of that, but it wasn't. Uh, it certainly wasn't easy in that format uh, when the coach has to look at a, your face, uh, you're just a head on a stool sitting there, and uh, he can't hear the questions being asked because it's a you know little computer laptop speaker and there's Zambonis going in the background and everything else. So it wasn't ideal last year when we were trying that, but uh, this year with uh, everybody using Zoom, it kind of, that slides a little bit more into my wheelhouse, I guess. So yeah, it does kind of help a bit. It it helps me to, kind of puts me on a little bit more of an even uh, playing field here with the the people that are on the ground. Most definitely. It's funny, I remember us talking about it, uh, I think last season when you were saying like how funny it was to have all these reporters in there and then one computer with your face on it on the other side. And I guess you were ahead of the times a little bit now that everybody's stuck on Zoom. Yeah, we were breaking some ground and we didn't even know it yet. So uh, it's uh, it's it's kind of funny. It's you know, last year I was very very fortunate to have uh, people like uh, Phil Lavanco and and Joe Roberts that were with the team that looked after that side of things and really really helped me out. And, and uh, both guys are are no longer with the team; they've moved on. Um, so I'm you know this year we're building new relationships with uh, with the people who've kind of uh, who are there to fill their shoes so so far so good that's going well um, I've been invited to all the zoom calls so far and uh, that's going to continue throughout the season so really looking forward to being able to bring maybe a little bit more uh, unique content than I was able to do last year just because of the ability to you know to speak with the players and and the uh, coaches you know immediately following a game to get some of that post game um, reaction that'll work its way into into what I write each week uh, as you mentioned I won't be doing a pregame and a post game uh, for every game this year like I've kind of previously done what we're going to do this time around is a, a weekly AHL wrap up and uh, that'll cover the Comets and if I get a chance to watch uh, Sautner and Grayavac and Archer Zilovs and whoever else the Canucks might send to Manitoba I'm going to try to watch some of that too but uh, you know the the, the post game scrums uh, that kind of content will make its way into those uh, into those weekly articles and I think that's that's something that's been missing from my from my uh, reporting and my side of things something that I've really wanted to do and this year we'll be able to do it absolutely and we're damn excited for it and something that you brought up there uh, which is kind of kind of something that you've talked about a lot of I think in the past Corey about how much of a changeover there is year and year 
uh, year in and year out with an AHL team, whether it's the rosters or the staff or something like we're going to miss Phil and we're going to miss Joe big time. I mean, those are two of the guys that have helped out you a ton, have helped out me a ton. Uh, and, and honestly, just missing Joe's voice on the broadcast. I don't think there's many better ones uh, that I've heard at the AHL level for sure. So he's going to be dearly missed. But the roster as well. Uh, I'm looking at the top seven scorers right now on this Canucks team or on this Utica Comets team from last year. Um, Reed Boucher moving on, Nikolai Goldobin moving on, Justin Bailey moving up, uh, Brogan Rafferty moving up, Carter Camper moving on. I mean, this is going to be a very different looking team, but uh, I want to start with someone that's not even in the Utica organization technically, uh, in Sam Annis, because leading scorer of the AHL last year, I know that he's not a Canucks prospect, but it's going to be really interesting to see the leading scorer of the AHL play alongside guys like Cole Lind and Sven Berchi, who are looking like they're going to be the first line for the Comets this year. What kind of addition to the team, and I guess the organization, and the players that are trying to develop, is a guy like Sam Annis? Well, this is it, and this is it's what really, really intrigues me here is Sam Annis is a center. Uh, he's played wing and played the middle, but uh, he had a career year last year, and, and I believe he played the middle for a, a bulk, the bulk of that season. He had 50 assists last year with his 70 points. Uh, so he's a he's a puck distributor. He's a playmaker, and uh, the fact that uh, Trent Cole and Drew Bannister are shifting Cole to the middle to put Sam Annis on his wing I think that speaks pretty highly of how they feel uh, Cole's move to the middle is going to go so just having Sam Annis there as a you know a bit of insulation around Cole uh, to to, you know to push put him into that role I think that's a huge plus right there Uh, you've got a guy as I said he's a he's a creative uh, puck distributor he's a guy that's going to be able to you know help set uh, a guy like Cole Lind up for for a lot of points, and and he can finish too. I mean, he had twenty goals last year, mm-hmm. Annis did. So, uh, you know, the the other thing with St. Louis, and and I spoke to Ryan Johnson last Friday, and we kind of specifically discussed, uh, you know, why St. Louis, how this worked out, and uh, if you just take a quick glance at the players that that Vancouver sent to Utica, it's. Aside from Sven Berchi, it's a young group. Uh, you know, you've got guys Cole and, and Jonah are in their third year. Lucas Yashik is, is in his third year. But you've got Will Lockwood there. You've got Carson Folk there. You've got uh, three young defensemen, or, or fairly green defensemen at least, in Mitch Elliott, Josh Tevez, and Jet Wu. So they've got some young guys there. And with St. Louis coming in, they've got some, you know, pretty decent uh you know, older players who've got some experience at the NHL level and, and, and experience at the AHL level and success there. So it really kind of matches up well as far as, uh, you know, giving some of these young uh, Vancouver prospects some wingers to work with or, or uh, in Carson Folk's case, wingers to work with who, who have a little bit more experience, you know, guys like uh, Curtis McKenzie or a guy like Nolan Stevens, players who've uh, played at the NHL level, players who are, you know, can play a gritty game and can kind of help, uh, you know, a big young centerman progress his game at the AHL level and develop as a pro. So it really seems like, uh, you know, from everything that I've heard and, and, you know, everybody's saying all the right things, obviously on the ground there, but it seems like it's going to be a pretty good fit. Um, You know, I'm sure at times this year, we're going to have issues where people in Vancouver will be unhappy because maybe Jet Wu isn't playing or uh, people in St. Louis will be unhappy because, uh, you know, one of their young guys isn't, isn't getting the minutes or the opportunities that they want. So it's a unique season. It's one that I think we need to, uh, 
you know, let's take everything this year with a bit of a grain of salt because uh, it's it's a unique uh, a unique path the way things are happening this year. So it's definitely going to be an interesting one to watch the way it all plays out. Um, I, I think the that this split affiliation could end up being a good thing for for this season. I think so too, and I think that it, it creates opportunities, I guess, for players that didn't really have that before. And I find one of the the moves so interesting, and we you kind of touched on it there, but Cole Lane moving to center. Uh, not only, like we saw it on the power play last year, it's something that you and I both talked about a lot that we both enjoyed was, you know, his ability to move into that spot because that's what Zach McEwen did before him, right? Like he was the center on the power play group. He played center at times in the AHL, but he was also a winger. I, I'm wondering about Cole's move at five on five to a center. I mean, that's something that we saw from McEwen, but I wouldn't say like a full out move to center like we're seeing with Cole Lynn. So what does that excite you about his game? Because, I mean, this is something for Canucks fans that see down the road that the third-line center spot, I mean, it, it, it's got a lot of openings, right? I mean, you have Adam Gaudet, you have Brandon Sutter, who probably won't be there for much longer, but a lot of a lot of that third-line center role is relying on Adam Gaudet succeeding, and we're seeing him play wing now, we're seeing him be healthy scratched. If Cole's able to develop as a center, for his game, what do you like about it? Because uh, I'll just add one more thing on this, but... Like, a lot of people have seen Cole Lynn at the WHL level, and they, they saw his shot, and they said, okay, this guy's a scorer. You know, he's he's an excellent guy on the wing coming down, flying in, and taking a shot. That's where he succeeds. But from what I saw with him on the power play last year as a center, and, you know, even at times on 5-on-5, five five, I, I really think his playmaking might be the big thing that's going to get him to the next level. So that move to center for him, how much do you think that helps him in that certain area? Well, I think it really rounds out his game, Chris. I mean, I think that's that's really the focus here behind this. Uh, just stepping back to McEwen, though, uh, he didn't really play center at all in, in the AHL at, at five on five. Mm-hmm. He may have had, in the three years I watched him there, he may have had maybe a handful of shifts at five on five in the middle. He was, you know, took a lot of faceoffs as a winger on the power play, but, uh, and, you know, played the center position there on the on the PP, but not so much on the at five on five. And I think that's that's where the difference is here with Cole. Uh, when I spoke with Ryan Johnson and we spoke about this part of Cole's game and and the shift to the middle, the idea here is they want the like last year the play, uh, sorry Cole's first year we we know it didn't go great for him. He had a tough adjustment to the AHL and to the pro level. Uh, his second year, he as we saw he you know, got a lot more comfortable and he became a really nice complimentary player. And uh, Johnson's words to me were, this year our challenge for Cole is we don't want him to just be the complimentary player anymore. We want him to be the guy. We want the play to run through him. So moving him to the middle kind of uh, forces that. It, uh, the play has to run through Cole now. Uh, you know, they, they like his playmaking. They want him to... Uh, Instead of having to, instead of having to rely on on his uh, wingers or a centerman uh, to get him the puck, they want Cole to be getting the puck. They want him to have the puck on his stick as often as possible, and they want him to be the guy making that happen. Uh, which I think is another big part of that shift to the middle. They need him to be the guy that's that's going in and doing that work and becoming a, more of a distributor as well. And I agree with you, Chris, that uh, playmaking side of Cole's game. Um, you know, I knew he could score goals and uh, coming out of junior. Uh, I knew he could, you know, he was a pretty slick playmaker. But last year, some of the plays that we saw him making at the pro level yeah. uh, compared to his rookie season, it was just a night and day difference with his confidence level. And I think that's 
always going to be the big key for Cole when he's confident. He's an agitator, uh, and to you know to use Ryan Johnson's words, he's a rat. <laughs> and I loved hearing uh, Johnson say that. Like he, he said, Cole's at his best when he's being a bit of a rat out there. We need him to be, uh, you know, keeping things in control. But when he can take other players off their game, he's at his best. And and I you know I tend to agree with that. And uh, you know if this shift to the middle it doesn't end up being a permanent thing. It at least is going to help Cole develop his overall defensive awareness. And when he gets to the NHL level, maybe he's got a guy like Godet in the middle that isn't uh, as good on the face-offs, but Cole has proven to be pretty handy on the face-offs. So if he can be a winger even that slides over to to take draws because he's strong there, uh, that's a feather in his cap. And, And those are the kind of players, as Travis Green always says he wants players you can win with and a, and a player with utility like that is a player you can win with 100% and you bring that up like that Cole did do a pretty good job on his faceoffs last year let's think about the guy that he's going up against right I mean he was the first power play unit going up against the first penalty kill unit that's one of your better faceoff guys on every single NH- or AHL team like your penalty killer the guy that you put out first to center he's one of your best faceoffs guys so it's not like Cole Lynn was going against you know bottom tier faceoff competition like he was doing a solid job on PP1 of winning draws, maybe not winning at like 70%, but you know, I'd say 50, 50 at least, right? Like he was doing a a solid job as a guy who moved there from the wing. And you know, Cole's going to be a guy that we're going to talk about a lot as the season goes on, Corey, for sure. Uh, But he's coming off of that big four point night. So we had to dive into him a little bit deeper here. Uh, The guys that I wanted to just kind of maybe just get a little bit of your opinion on as we kind of close this out. um, Three of the guys that are making a jump to professional hockey and Will Lockwood, who excited a lot of people at training camp, scoring the two goals in a scrimmage. Carson Folk, who, you know, at times last year in the WHL was excellent scoring in in crazy streaks where he would just score a bunch of goals in a handful of games. Uh, And Jet Wu, who's going to be probably making the toughest adjustment because he's coming in as a defenseman. Maybe if you want to just give a little bit on those three players, uh, we'll start with Lockwood, and how do you think he'll fit into this AHL team? I've, uh, I'm glad that you brought those three up specifically because those are uh, three guys that I've spoken to uh, Trent Cull about and I've spoken with Drew Bannister about as well. Uh, you, for those that don't know, Drew Bannister is the Blues uh, AHL head coach uh, and he came over. He's now the associate head coach in Utica. Trent Cull is still head coach Bannister's his associate head coach and Daniel Kachuk came over one of his uh, assistants as well and he's working with the team along with uh, with Gary Agnew as well who's been there with Trent Cull since he came on um, so as far as those guys uh, Lockwood both uh, Cull and Bannister kind of gushed about him after the first day at camp uh, saying how he like he jumps off the ice with his speed uh they're really looking to to transform him into a, a specialty teams machine they want him to be a a penalty killer uh you know the guy that can be counted on uh to be the guy that eats up all those penalty killing minutes i think that's going to be a really big focus for him and if he's gonna you know if a guy like lockwood he's not the youngest prospect on the team he spent all his time at, at university that he could there so uh, he's a little bit older of a prospect, kind of like Brogan Rafferty was when, when he came in uh, last year. So you've got a guy that I think they've got pretty high hopes for right out of the gate and a guy that I think they're they're going to put him into some pretty meaningful minutes right out of the gate. Um, so I think that's really good for him. Uh, Carson Folk was another guy that both coaches uh, were saying he jumped off for his speed as well. They like his size. 
I know that uh, in speaking with Trent Cole after their uh, preseason game, folks saw time on both the power play and the penalty kill. Um, you know, first year in the league, uh, Trent Cole is giving him a look on the PK, and I think that's something that they want to keep going for him. So I think that's uh, that that says a lot about where, how they feel about him in the organization, and uh, he's looking like he's going to be a guy that they want to put a lot of time into and work with. So I think that bodes really well for him. Uh, my understanding for Wu is uh, his preseason game wasn't uh, quite as dialed in as some of the other players. He had some some kind of moments that he maybe could have done a little bit better, but that his game kind of got a little stronger as as the uh, as the game went on. Mm-hmm. I think as you as you said, I'll agree. I think he he might have uh, out of those three, he'll probably have the tougher time adjusting to the pace and uh, you know the speed and everything of the of the American Hockey League of the pro level. Uh, but he is a guy that uh, they've got a lot of time for and a guy that they're going to put a lot of work into as well. I think, uh, you know, out of out of Mitch Elliott, Josh Tevez, and Jet Wu, uh, you know, Jet Wu's going to be the guy that's still going to be here going forward after this season, and I'm not sure we'll be able to say the same about the other two players. Yeah, I found that, you know, just watching those players at Canucks training camp, Jet Wu at times, you know, I don't think it's the worst thing to say, but he looked like the least... NHL ready guy at camp at certain times this year and I I saw a lot of a lot of pluses in him at camp I mean there was times where his passing ability and just ability to control the puck was pretty weak but there was times where he's in the corner battling against a Bo Horvat or a Brock Besser and it was like you know like this is why people talk about Jet Wu and his strengths being you know physical on the boards a good job in the defensive zone but there is a lot of work to happen in the offensive part of things do you think that might maybe have people let down a little bit if they're you know not watching these comments games and just seeing the small amount of points that we will likely put up in the ahl but do you think that might just kind of hinder people's excitement on what they're going to see from jet woo this year well i think it might but i think at the same time i i mean i think we all have to be realistic about what what our expectations are for for some of these guys i mean you know you've got a guy like Jet Wu, who's it's been a bit of a long path for him to get here, and now he's he's going to be here playing his first year of pro. Uh, there, you know, there's a possibility he could have a, a pretty decent uh, veteran uh, line mate with him on a lot of nights because St. Louis brought in a couple of uh, defenders who have a bit more experience than what Vancouver has here. Um, but yeah, I think I, I think it's going to be a situation where if, where people in Vancouver are going to want to keep their uh, their expectations in check with Wu. I think uh, you know we could see a situation with him that similar to what we saw with Cole Lind and Jonah Gajevich in their first years, where if they if the coaching staff feels that uh, they need that he needs more work in practice than actual game time then that's probably what we're going to see from him and that again we might have the uh the vancouver fans whipping out the pitchforks and the torches but uh you know we it seemed to work out pretty well for cole lind uh you know that's that's one i know everybody's gonna get on me because i always bring up zach McEwen, but uh he's the example i mean he's a player that it didn't matter that everybody else was saying they should move him to the middle. They should move him to the middle. The coaching staff saw him as a winger and, and uh, he trusted their process and he trusted their plan for him. And it seems to have worked out fairly well for him as an undrafted guy who's, you know, playing NHL games. Now Uh, Jalen Chatfield has trusted their plan for him and it seems to have worked out pretty well for him so far. So I think if, uh, 
if the fans can learn to trust the the process and trust the the plan, even if they might not understand it all the time, uh, you know, we might be a little bit less stressed out and a little bit happier when these guys uh, come up and we can say, you know what, I I had faith in this kid and and he's proving us right. So that's kind of how I look at things. Yeah, you just you got to be worried about the stat scouts. That's the problem. The guys that are looking at the elite prospect page and telling you what a player is instead of watching the games. But I don't think that's ever going to change. And and you touched on someone there. I just I want to bring it up because um, looking at this Comets team last year, you know I watched a ton of the games last year. Not as many as you. I might have missed a few, but I I looked at this defense core that they had in Utica last year and how good they were. I mean, as a group, they had you know at times probably the best six man unit in the AHL. Seeing what these players were able to do. Uh, specifically with Brogan Rafferty and, and Ashton Sautner. And then Jalen Chatfield now comes in, and, and I looked at that Comets team last year. I, I thought he might have been the fourth best defenseman. Like, I thought Sautner played more uh, situations. I thought he was better at the puck. I, I thought Rafferty was incredible in the offensive zone. I thought that, you know, Ole Levy at times was great defensively. He's a great PK specialist. And, and I guess, like, I, I guess I was wrong on Jalen Chatfield just because – I'll explain why. Because, like, I see, I see what Reed Boucher did – like did at the AHL level for a long time there where he scored an incredible amount of goals doing the exact same thing, you know, scoring from that right side, being a guy who comes in on the rush and just rips his shot. And it worked for him at the AHL. Jalen Chatfield to me was in a very similar spot where he was a great defensive guy in the corners in the AHL. He did a good job of pushing guys out of the net. He did a fine job of skating the puck up the ice and moving the puck. But I just didn't think that there was enough skill in Jalen Chatfield's AHL game for it to translate to the NHL. And that might be why I kind of wrote him off as thinking that he could be an NHL player, but it seems like what he's doing at the NHL is the exact same things that he was doing at the AHL, but it just seems to be working. And I'm just, I'm curious because I guess because of like a Reed Boucher who tried to do those things at the NHL level and it just didn't quite work out for him. Maybe that's what pushed me back on Jalen Chatfield thinking that he had to be better to be an NHL player. But like you've seen quite a few of the Canucks games this year, Corey, and you've seen Jalen Chatfield play like, is, is this exactly what he's doing at the AHL level, but he's just doing it at the NHL level and it's working for him? Yeah, and I, I, I want to, as far as Chatfield goes, I just want to go back to one thing that I heard um, Travis Green say in a, in a post-game uh, presser, or maybe it was after a practice or whatever on a Zoom call. But uh, somebody asked him about Jalen Chatfield and his game, and the words that Travis Green used were, Jalen Chatfield is really committed to the defensive side of the game. Now, that's a coach that uses words like, I want players that I can win with. And when the head coach says that this player, and uses the word, is very committed to the defensive side of the game, I think that says a lot about why Jalen Chatfield is is where he is right now and getting NHL time. It's... He's, I've used the, the hashtag, he gets it with Zach McEwen with, with, and I'm using it with, uh, with Jalen Chatfield as well. I mean, these are players that have gone through the system that have trusted the process and the plan and they understand what, you know, they understood what was going to be asked of them at the NHL level when they got here because they were prepared, uh, by a coaching staff in Utica that I, I think they know what they're doing as far as getting guys ready for, uh, to play for Travis Green. Um, Jalen Chatfield, he plays a pretty simple game. I mean, I, I wrote about it in uh, Quads asked me to do a piece when I first came back to Canucks Army about who uh, would be the, you know, the players most ready to step in from last year's Comets roster. Yep. Um, I've always, I've, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll 
be the first to admit it. I've been saying from the get-go that I thought Ashton Sautner was the most NHL-ready defender in Utica. Yeah, I agree with that, too. I I said that uh, Ole Olevi should be ready this year. uh, If if he's healthy, he should be able to get in there and show that he can play play a shift at the NHL level. He still needs work. We've seen that, but he is showing fairly well. Aside from his uh, his uh, pivoting and stuff, but um, yeah. the thing the thing with Jalen Chatfield and I and I wrote this: if you're not expecting a ton of offense from Jalen Chatfield, he's probably not going to let you down. He's just that kind of player. He goes about his business. He does his job. Uh, he's he's a pretty no nonsense, no frills player. Uh, can he be physical? Yeah, he can. You know, he can take a guy out with a pretty stiff hit he's not going to be blowing guys up on the boards like a big bone crusher uh but jalen chatfield can can thrive in the dirty areas of the ice uh he's a right shot defenseman in a system that doesn't have a ton of right shot defensemen with a coach that prefers guys on their proper side uh so all those things kind of bode well for jalen chatfield and and you know he's let, let's give it to the to the player he's worked hard to get to where he is and uh you know he's he's not going to blow your hair back he's not you know uh quinn hughes he's not going to be piling up points and and making eye-popping plays all over the ice every night but he can he can be your six or seven defenseman he can be that guy yeah i just uh i find it funny because i think i tweeted it out a while ago and uh, i'll bring up the stat for you it's been 1,034 days since Jalen Chatfield has scored a goal in professional hockey. April 5th, 2018. <laughs> but, I mean, he's it, playing It might NHL, be 1,034 right? before he scores another one, but <laughs> if he can keep the puck out of his own out of his own net, then I don't really have a problem with it. I think, uh, you know, I like that they're pairing him with, uh, with Edler as almost like a bit of a shutdown pair right now. That's... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that plays right into into the strengths of Jalen Chatfield's game. I mean, he's making some mistakes out there. We've seen it, but he's also made some pretty, uh, you know, almost not. I don't want to say veteran plays, but he's made some pretty savvy plays for a guy that's just uh, you know getting his first taste of NHL action. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I don't know if you caught it, Corey, but uh, during training camp, uh, we were on a Zoom call with Jalen Chatfield, and I asked him. About playing uh, a greasy style. It's something that you and I have both talked about uh, in the past. Did you hear his reaction when I asked that question? He wasn't very uh, excited I did about hear it. it. I did, and I, I, I'm I, glad I wasn't on that Zoom call because and had a live mic because I broke out laughing when you said, <laughs> what do you mean by greasy? But then when you explained what you meant by greasy, and he's like, yeah, I mean, that's my game. And, I mean, that's – I've been calling Jason uh, Jalen Chatfield greasy since the first game I saw him play. I mean, he's uh, he's that kind of guy. He's not afraid to – like the thing about Chatfield, and we've seen it at the NHL level already, I mean, he'll, he'll take the hit to make the right play if he has to. I mean, that's just the way he is. And, and uh, you know, a guy that soaks up shots on a, on a power – or, sorry, on a penalty kill, he's blocking a ton of shots and – I just uh, I have a lot of time for the way that guy plays the game and uh, and the fact that again he's an underdog he's an undrafted guy he's gone through the system uh, he's absorbed the coaching and he's you know he's there he's he's at the NHL level whether he stays at the NHL level is yet to be seen but you know any time when the Canucks you know their drafting record hasn't been fantastic for a long time and and uh, you know they're now they're starting to draft like they've been drafting better the last handful of years but when they can get a you know a 
you know, 23 games out of NHL games out of Ashton Sautner, uh, yeah. an undrafted player. They may get a few more out of him yet. Who knows? But uh, they're getting games out of Jalen Chatfield. They've, they're getting games out of Zach McHugh. And these, these undrafted guys coming in and being able to uh, step in and play some minutes, I think that that's pretty important for the organization to be able to to get those guys in there and, and have that. Yeah. Not every guy's going to be, you know, Petey and, and uh, Hughes and, and Brock and come in and win a Calder Trophy or, or be a finalist. So... Uh, you know, you got to get some wins with some of these other guys too. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's like everyone says, it's found money with these guys, right? You know, Zach McHugh and Jalen Chatfield playing NHL games for you when they were just free agents that nobody took a chance on in the NHL draft. It's just found money, I think, in the end. So, um, I don't know. Maybe we'll need to think of a, a word that's a little more flattering than greasy, but uh, <laughs> we can work on that and workshop that over the next little bit here. But, uh, Corey, appreciate you jumping on. We're just crossing over 30 minutes right now. I had a feeling it was going to be long, but, uh, you know, it's going to be fun to chat with you throughout the season. I know the intro is going to get some play uh, a lot coming up here in the next few weeks, especially with season just kicking off. I mean, there's so many storylines coming out of this uh, Utica Comets organization this year. So I'm excited for Friday, man. Friday and Saturday, we got it back-to-back game. Uh, you said that 28 of their 32 games are against uh, Syracuse and what team am I forgetting here? Syracuse Rochester and, and Rochester. Yeah. That's right. So I mean, the fact. Yeah, that- we didn't even talk about that part yet. I mean, <laughs> you got Cole Lind and Jonah Gajevich with their style of play, playing against two teams. Uh, you know, 28 of their 32 games are against the same two teams. Yeah. Cole and Jonah have the opportunity to become absolute legends in Utica this year with the way they play their, their, uh, you know, their kind of greasy styles of game. I'll use that word again there. Um, <laughs> Be careful with that word. <laughs> those guys uh, in those games, I think they're going to, that's going to play into their their strengths. They're going to be able to rise to the occasion. I hope Jonah stays healthy this year. Uh, his skating looked a little bit better to me from the little bit I saw from camp, um, from Vancouver camp. And uh, the one highlight I saw from uh, from the uh, preseason game, Jonah jumping on a loose puck in the neutral zone, skating in a, a few feet and just hammering a puck past the goalie. Uh, that's a good sign. Jonah's got a, he's got a pretty good shot. We saw him use it a few times last year. It's yeah. not all just, uh, you know, tipping goals in from in close for him. He, he doesn't just have to be the net front guy. He's, he's got a pretty good shot. So I'm looking forward to seeing him use that this year and, uh, you know, take on a little bit more of that, uh, not so much an enforcer role, but you know what I mean, that kind of role where he's going to be looking after his teammates and uh, making sure the guys on the other team are staying honest. Yeah, most definitely. And like you said, don't have to wait much longer here. We're going to get it going this weekend. It'll be fun. Maybe we'll have to check in next week uh, to wrap up what we see because I'm excited for Friday and Saturday. Four o'clock starts. It's going to be fun to watch the comments again. It's going to be different without Joe Roberts, but uh, just getting a chance to watch these AHL games is, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun once again. So uh, excited to have you around at Canucks Army. Excited to have you around here at the Canucks Combo, hopefully a lot uh, over the season as we go on here. And uh, excited to see what comes this year, Corey. The content's going to be great, I think, with you uh, pumping it out and doing things a little bit differently this year, too. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a blast. And uh, yeah, I'm all for uh, coming on whenever you want to have me on the show. I'm here and uh, always happy to talk Comets hockey, that's for sure. Absolutely, Carl. Well, I'll let you go and uh, I'm sure we'll be messaging each other back and forth on Friday. Sounds good, man. (laughs) And a huge thank you to all of our sponsors and, of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the Comets, Corey, Corey Hergott. Chris, that was a fun chat you had with Corey. 
one player that you guys talked about and that I kind of want to touch on a little more is Jalen Chatfield. How impressed have you been with his play so far this season before we kind of talk about some more players that are going to be in Utica this year? Yeah, I mean, that's that's how we ended the conversation with Corey was that I've just been proven wrong on Jalen Chatfield. I mean, I've seen a lot of players at the AHL level with a lot of high-end skill at the AHL level that haven't been able to succeed at the NHL. And what we're seeing with Jalen Chatfield is not a lot of high-end skill at the AHL level, but it's almost like his game at the NHL level doesn't require that. I mean, he's, like we said with Corey there just a minute ago, like, he's playing the exact same game that he did in Utica. Like, he's playing the exact same way, and he's having success at the NHL just because he's doing all the simple things. And, and Corey brought it up, I think, best at the end of that conversation. Like, he, he just gets it, right? Like, he's been in this organization long enough to understand how to play defense, how Travis Green wants the defense to be playing, and it's working for him. He's, you know, thir- 17 and a half minutes over the past... Uh, the game against Winnipeg and the game against uh, the first game against Montreal, like the guy's getting minutes now. It's, 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 it's been a great story for the Canucks so far and I'm happy to be proved wrong. I mean, I think I had him as like the fourth most NHL ready defenseman coming out of Utica last year. I thought that Sautner was better. I thought Breezeball was better. I thought Rafferty was better. I thought Ulevi was better, but I've been proven wrong and, and I'll take that Al because I just, I didn't see his game translating because there was nothing that stuck out at the AHL that made you say, oh, this guy should be in the NHL. Like, he was just a good, solid top four AHL defenseman, and he's fitting into the NHL perfectly alongside Alex Edler. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch him play because it's just, he does all the little things right. Like, yeah, he, he, had, he had a few defensive miscues and a few blown tires, it seems like, but I think for the most part, he's played a pretty complete game. Listen, he's not Chris Tanev. There was only a few people in the market asking him to be Chris Tanev, but I think for the most part, he's done a pretty good job as the third line, uh, sorry, third pairing defenseman. I like, I think he's been used a little too much, but it's just what choice do they have? You know what I mean? Like, I think when you see those errors and those defensive miscues, it's from him playing too much and playing in really tough roles. And it's just tough because like, that's the situation that Travis Green's been dealt and there's just not much he can do about it. Like he can't, he can't change it. That's, that's who he has. Hamannick's out. He has no other options. So I think I, on all in all, I, I think Jalen Chatfield has been fine. I think I, honestly, I think he's going to be pretty good for a few years here. Like he's definitely a good stopgap until you get someone else. Absolutely. Like until Troy Stetcher's contract is up in Detroit. What do you think about that? Chris Troy Stetcher finishes his contract in Detroit comes back to the Canucks. Do you think it's too bold of a prediction? I don't know. You know, hometown kids, they like uh, like playing in their hometown. But I love how you, you we're going into this second half, and you're like, hey, let's do three minutes on the AHL. Within 10 seconds, you've swapped to the NHL already. Can I just say that the oh, yeah. AHL season starts this Friday? Uh, <laughs> Friday and Saturday, they have games. Uh, and Cole Lynn, man, four points in that first preseason game. I believe they have a preseason game on Wednesday, Corey might have mentioned in that interview. Um, but they get going on Friday and Saturday. We can watch it on AHL TV. I'm excited for it. We're going to have a bunch of clips coming. Cole Lynn's playing on the wing, or he's centering uh, the one of the top, or the top AHL scorer last year in Sam Annis. Uh, and he's got Sven Berchi, who's an NHL talent, on his left wing. So that line's going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I'm surprised you didn't just turn this conversation into goalies, but I think... That's where we're going next, isn't it? Yeah, because one guy I'm really excited to watch is Archie Silov, who's going to be playing in Manitoba. 
I'm going to be definitely doing some clips and watching all of his games. I'm really, really interested to see because he only had like a few days with Ian Clark and it's just, you know, it's not enough. And he's still working on narrowing his stance. But, you know, I've always said that's going to be the big thing for him because he just has such a low wide stance, but he's so explosive. Like he actually reminds me a lot of Yaroslav Askarov, but he has just like his better rebound control and just way worse reflexes. Like that's what makes Askarov so rare and that's why he was taken so high is just because he has such amazing natural reflexes but anyway enough goalie talk let's talk about the Canucks goalies um what the what the hell just happened Thatcher Demko Chris pretty good pretty good past couple weeks for Thatcher Demko goes in on Tuesday night against Montreal Braden Holtby couldn't really like here's the thing people people are asking me what I thought about Holtby Demko blah 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 Holtby looked fine but he didn't look great. Like he didn't make any big saves to the Canucks. Like he he did his job. He he looked fine. He looked like a good, an average to good NHL goaltender. That's what Braden Holtby looked like the other night. That's not what Demko's been. Demko's been above and beyond. So when I when I look at the two goalies and you kind of look at the schedule coming up, Chris, a lot of people have kind of floated out the idea that oh hey, no more back to backs till March. The Canucks can just ride Demko out. Like, I want to get your thoughts on that before I give mine on it. Yeah, I mean, I think that they can. I think they can ride Demko for a while here. Just looking at the way the schedule kind of goes out here, you got three against Toronto. Uh, I'm going to expect to see Demko for two of those. Then you have the two days off. And if Demko looks good in two of those games against Toronto, he should get the start at home on, you know, the following week when they have after that two-day break, they come back and play the Flames. I could see Demko getting three of the next four pretty easily, to be honest. I don't know about the rest of the month, but after the way that he's played being first star in the NHL, like, you know, I, I I can really see him getting three of the next four. I think that might be the move, but if he comes into Toronto on that first game on Thursday, it doesn't look great, then you go with Holtby, and then you see if he's better, maybe he gets a start on Monday. Like, this goaltender situation is going to be so interesting to follow all year long, but... I think so far Demko has has done his job. He's looked great at times. Uh, I know that a few of those games are against the Ottawa Senators, but at the same time, he's looked good when he's been called upon. Since those first three losses, he's looked good, and I think that it it, it should be his net to ride a little bit. I think it should be his crease, and, and hope he should have to take it away from him uh, and do that throughout this month. You mentioned it. Yeah, no more back-to-backs through the whole month of February. Thank God, because the Canucks have played so many games already, and you've got to think that it's it's wearing on them a little bit. So I think get into a groove with Demko if he's able to figure it out. Yeah, he, he deserves to get some back-to-back starts if he has some good games here. Yeah, absolutely. And Okay, here's, here's my take on the situation, Chris, because I think you're right. Like, he does start three of the next four. Absolutely. But after that, it's one day off in between every game until the 26th. Okay. So you have to keep that in mind when you're looking at this. And they're playing some pretty tough teams in the Calgary Flames, the Winnipeg Jets, and the Edmonton Oilers being at the tail end of that. So it won't be as hard, but still they have three games against Calgary, you know, four games against Calgary. Yes, four games in a row against Calgary, the first three of which will be at home. The first of which will actually be played on my birthday. So that's that's going to be pretty fun. But regardless, here's what I think about the goaltending situation is just if you do choose to ride Demko out and remember they did this in the playoffs with Markstrom and then they lost Markstrom and everybody had to panic and then Demko had to come in and save the day. Look, I really like Mikey DiPietro, but he's not going to be able to come in and save the day. And even if you have Braden Holpe, which you do, like you're going to play Braden Holpe, but say 
Demko's out for three to four weeks, whatever the case is. Holpe still can't play all those games. There is a few back-to-backs to open March. You're going to need Mikey DiPietro to play some games. The Canucks don't have a third goaltender, so if you lose Demko when he's rolling like this, right? And I get it. Like you need to be able to you need to be able to start both your goaltenders in this season. It's just the Canucks have to. But I get you want to go with the guy who's has the hot hand right now, but you're really, really risking it because if you do lose Demko for, you know, God forbid, two to three months, like there goes your season. There's no chance. There's no chance that the Canucks will make the playoffs if Demko goes down for over two months. Zero chance because, again, you're going to have to play Mikey DiPietro. I love Mikey DiPietro. I think he's a fantastic goalie. I've said so much about his crease awareness being the best I've ever seen from a young goaltender. But man, Throwing him into NHL games like that, it's just not fair to him. And again, like I, I like Holtby too. You know that. I think Holtby's been better than a lot of people have given him credit for. But I don't know if he can really carry that load that's kind of been on Demko and going to be on Demko. I just, yeah. he just hasn't come up big enough for the Canucks. And, you know, this is not trying to you know, defend how bad the Canucks have been at defending. They have been horrible, Chris. Everybody knows this. But Thatcher Demko has been able to give them a fighting chance. You you don't even have to look far. Tuesday night, the game we're recording right after, Thatcher Demko came up big. Like, this score could have been a lot worse if it weren't for Thatcher Demko. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think it, it could have been, could have gotten out of hand pretty fast. It could have been another seven-goal game for Montreal against the Canucks, but... What you said, like, with 11 games to close out this month, would you say that Demko should get 7? Because otherwise it's 6-5, that's pretty 50-50, but let's just say we're coming off of a game where Demko just started, so not only would he be playing 3 of the next 4, you know, that's 4 of the of the previous 5 if he does start uh, these games against Toronto, 2 of them, and then the 1 on Calgary and the return home. So would it be crazy to think that coming off of a Demko start – seven of the next 11 will also be Demko starts to close out this month? Like, is that too much? No, I don't think it is. I'm looking at the schedule right now, and I think you can get away with him with starting him for all three games against Toronto. I think you can, because really? the Canucks then, well, listen, they have a two-day break. That's four straight quads, four games in a row. I know. I know it is. I know. Yeah, maybe, okay, maybe you start Demko on Thursday and then Holtby Saturday. I think that's what we'll see. If he doesn't play all three, I think that's what we'll see. We'll see Demko starts Thursday, Holtby Saturday, and then Demko Monday. Two days off, back at home against Calgary on my birthday. That's when Demko's going to get his next start. And then I think Hmm. you just try to go toe-to-toe. Because that's the thing is they're going to put Markstrom. Like, Calgary's going to match with Markstrom. And, you know, David Riddick hasn't been great. I... Man... It's it's tough. I, I do not envy the position Ian Clark and Travis Green are in right now because you don't want to lose any games that you could have won if you had Demko in net. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I wouldn't even yeah, exactly. say Monday night's game against Montreal was a game that, oh, you could have won it if you had Demko. Like, they've been that bad, yes. But, man, like, this was a game where if they had Holtby, the score's worse. Uh, sorry, it's just true. Like, the, the score is much worse this one on Tuesday night if they had Holtby in net. And I think Holtby's been fine. It's just the Canucks are so bad in front of them. And it, I don't know. Like, uh, honestly, they had a pretty complete performance on Mon- or, sorry, on Tuesday night. I thought they had a lot of good pushback in the second period. But 
I just, I don't know, Chris. I'm looking at the schedule, and I think you're right. It's got to be seven. Like, Demko's this team's starter. Like, let's make that clear. Demko is this team's starter, and that's how it's going to be until Holtby can prove otherwise, or, of course, if Demko gets hurt because they're riding him too much. But yeah. I it's, it's a tough situation, man, because, like I said, when you don't have a third goalie, that's not easy. Like, that is not easy because it's not like, like I said, if Demko goes down, you can't just be like, okay, now it's time to ride Holtby. Because then what happens? What if you lose both of those guys? Could you imagine? It'd okay, Demko, calm down. Calm down for Demko a bit. Demko and yeah. Those That's the tandem that the Canucks would be going with if they lost both. But that would oh, be man. that would be pretty nuts. But yeah, yeah, I think I think you might see Holtby on Thursday and then Demko Saturday, Monday, and then you have the two days off and you could go back to Demko, maybe get three in a row of Demko if he plays good. In I like that. I, I think I a really few like days that. off here for Demko to get settled, get ready for it, and then say, hey, if you go out these next two games against Toronto and you play excellent, you got the start on the home when we get back home against Calgary. I think that's the move. And I think maybe having Holtby in there on Thursday is good veteran calming presence for the team, but that hasn't really helped them much in the past. But, hey, Quads, can you uh, you want to change your mind on who was the MVP last year? You think Jacob Markstrom was the MVP yet or what? No, it was still Elias Pettersson. This team without Elias Pettersson would this team without Elias Pettersson would look even worse than they look right now. Like, think about I that. I don't know. I've seen quite a few games this year where I haven't seen much of Elias Pettersson. Yeah, but it'd be even worse if he actually wasn't in the lineup. Sorry, let me correct that. I got to do this for Disto. Elias Pettersson. Yes, Disto, one of our regular listeners. Chris, one yeah. thing I wanted to actually mention, last thing on goaltenders before we get to our new betting segment, which I'm very excited to introduce because uh, I, I had some pretty big wins tonight. But um, one thing I wanted to mention, really interesting, and I wanted to ask Braden Holtby about this. In post game yesterday, when the score got ran up a little bit, I started to see him, and you know, if, if anybody's listening to this and you maybe noticed this, if you didn't watch for it next game, he kind of reverted back to some of his old stuff that he was doing in Washington, not the things that Ian Clark was teaching them. Chris, I know you know this. I think people on the podcast have heard me talk about this. I don't know if they fast forward when I talk about goalies, but at training camp, one thing Ian Clark was working with on with all the goaltenders was shuffling side to side uh, with the puck at the blue line. So what they do is, you know, a lot of guys like to go low and wide and they like to try and look under and around bodies and around traffic. Well, with Jacob Markstrom, he was so tall that Ian Clark just told him to look over people. And that was how Markstrom tracked pucks. Holtby actually does the same because the thinking behind it is that a lot of the players in front are actually going to be hunched over. So Holtby on his up high can see over all of those people and he has a pretty good view of the puck. So that's kind of what they've been doing and what they do with the feet when that happens is quick shuffles and they don't like they don't have big wonky feet and I think you noticed this Chris was Mikey DiPietro was better that better than Holpe at this at camp when they were doing it together and I pointed it out to you and I was just like yeah like that's because he's worked with Ian Clark for longer that's something Holpe has been learning and I think that's something I've been watching for he's been doing it really well throughout the season he's been getting a lot better at it but on Monday night I did notice that when the score started to go up his shuffles were a lot less quiet and he was starting to look a lot like a guy who hadn't been coached by Ian Clark. And it was interesting. (laughs) The only reason it caught my interest was because Nate Schmidt said, you know, when, when, when you're on your heels or the game starts getting out of hand with systems, you start to revert back to what you know, and you start to not play the system that your new team has for you. And I think it's that to a smaller degree with Holtby. But yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. I hope you found it yeah. interesting too. No, but um, I just, 
I, I think that what you just brought up kind of piqued my interest or something. Like, if, if you do want to run with Demko for maybe three games in a row after this Thursday game, what's the what's the harm in having Di Pietro back up on Thursday against the against the Leafs? Like, wait, wait, wait. if the game gets, let's say the game gets out of hand, you know, and say it's five nothing early on, I guess you put in Di Pietro for a game, maybe, you know, to 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 give Holtby a break. But I I just think maybe giving Demko a little bit of a reset mentally might be something that's good for him. I mean, he's he's played good enough to win in a lot of games, right? A lot of the games this yeah. year he's played good enough to win, but the team in front of him have just been bad. I I wonder what it's like for this team on the road, right? With the way that they're going through COVID protocol, I I don't hate the idea of that. Like, just you get DiPietro off the taxi squad, you put him in as the backup on Thursday. You let Holtby start. I just I don't think it's the worst idea for a guy like that who's going to have a big workload coming up and maybe getting three starts in a row like we might see. I, I don't hate that idea. Like and you know having DiPietro just get a little bit of action, stay a little fresh, get him on the ice with the team a little bit. I don't hate that idea at all. Yeah, I yeah. Okay, so are you suggesting that the healthy scratch Braden Holtby? Like, is that what you're saying? No, no. Play Holtby on Thursday against the Leafs, but with oh. DiPietro as the backup. And let Demko be a healthy scratch. Yeah, put him in the press box. Let him chill for a bit. Okay, but wouldn't they have to... Okay, we're not going to get into this, because I think then they'd have to do a bunch of stuff with, like, the salary cap and adding someone well, yeah, on. Well, we'll send Louie back to the taxi squad. What's the difference? Is he not on the taxi Oh, yeah, he's in the... Okay. Okay. Very, very interesting that you pointed that out. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, I... Uh, yeah, I don't hate that idea. I don't hate the idea All of right. DPH for getting extra work. Because the Canucks haven't had any practices. That's another thing that a lot of people aren't talking about. Canucks haven't been able to practice. That's not... That's not easy for them. So, I don't know. It would be good for them to get back into it for sure. But... Yeah. We should Let me wrap give up a quick here. prospect. Okay. Yeah. yeah quick you prospect, give a prospect update. Report. Okay. I've just been so impressed with Vasily Podkolzin over the past two weeks. I think he's done a great job. The last five games, two game-winning goals, three points, uh, averaging over 17 minutes in his last two games. And he plays on Friday against Lokomoto, which is the uh, the big matchup that they'll have against. And that's a tough matchup for Sky after they've had a couple of easier games. Podkolzin's now playing on the power play, playing on the penalty kill. Like, I, I wonder if Sky's making a last-ditch effort to say, like, Look at all these minutes you're getting, man. You should stay one more year. Let's just see what happens at the end of KHL. Maybe that's what they're up to. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure that his agent and Vasily are both set on coming over here. So I, I don't think we should worry too much. But the thing about him making Team Russia for the Swedish games and the World Championships maybe happening does scare me a little bit. But like, it, it's something that we're going to hear probably news on every two weeks on what's going to go on with that world championship. So we'll keep you updated here uh, and on Canucks army for sure. But that's all I got for my prospects. I do have some betting things though. So yeah, introduce this. Uh, I don't know. Is this a segment? What are we doing here? It is a segment and it is brought to you by our friends at oddshark.com. You should all go check oddshark.com because it helped me make a play. I don't even know what it's called. Like, you know, I don't know football, Chris, but I've been watching the playoffs. I've been betting on the playoffs. I bet on Tom Brady. Okay. I bet when they were playing the saints, I bet that they would be over 53 points total in the game. And I bet that the bucks who were the underdog in that game would win. And that was because oddshark.com had an article that said that, Oh, Tom Brady's an underdog in this one, but it's a good bet to make. So I was like, okay, Odd Shark, I'm trusting you. I did it. I won 56 bucks, Chris. Like that was that was a good one. I did a little parlay there. Uh, yeah, you had our a chat with Ian last week. But yes, this is our friends at OddShark.com. Chris and I have both been getting into the betting lately. So if you have kids, we we should mention. We probably should have mentioned this earlier. But if you have kids, you don't want to hear them 
hear two degenerate gamblers talking, just go ahead and turn off the podcast. Like that's the end of the show for you. Thank you so much for listening. But if not, here we go, Chris. What were your bets tonight? Because tonight I had I had some good ones, Chris. I, I walked away. How much did I walk away? I walked away with ten bucks net. Man, I'll tell you what, man. I, I don't even know if I should be on this segment. I've been losing so much money uh, with my bets. But I, the one that I've been going with lately that's been doing okay for me is taking the over and adding a shot or two to Horvat and Quinn Hughes. Like Normally they'll be at two and a half, and you can take the over for that to, to get even money, which probably should take because like Quinn Hughes always gets over two and a half shots. Um, but so does, so does Horvat. And I guess now that teams are more keying in on him in the zone, but I've been going with the prop bets for, um, for shots. Quinn Hughes had six shots in the first game against Montreal. I had him for five, which was a nice little payout the other day for that. So that was good, but I don't know. I just been, I've been trying to like, I've been trying to hit my parlays a little bit, you know, and for people who don't know what parlays are, Ian talked about it last week on the show. Like you just put like seven games together. You put like $5 on it. And if all seven hit, you make a, you know, a buttload of money. Uh, most of the time it doesn't hit, but like one of these times it's going to hit for me, man. It just hasn't hit for me yet, but I'll, I'll be back on this show talking about a big parlay hit here pretty soon. Interesting. Yeah. I I've been doing the parlays. I've, I've, I had luck. You know what? The first day I had a Bodog account, I had some luck with the parlay. Like I, I hit yeah. on that parlay. I was stoked. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I've been turning it around, but the bet that I've been taking and people listening to this, if you want to make a bet, any time the Canucks play the Habs, just bet the over. Like, the odds makers haven't changed it yet, but the over was, like, six to start this game. At least it was on Bodog. And, or, sorry, six and a half. So you're betting that there's going to be seven total goals in the game. I bet that, and then I bet that there would be over seven and a half. So eight total goals. I bet that as well. I was getting a little scared toward the end because there was only six goals with like two minutes left and then the Canucks scored <laughs> to make it seven and then with a few seconds left, Montreal added the empty netter to make it eight. Make me walk away a happy man. Yeah, I won 30 bucks total, but I lost a couple other bets. So $21 out, I'm up 10 bucks. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not hating it, but I'm also not loving it. I don't know. I, I took some I took some interesting bets going into this one. But one thing that I always bet on is a JT Miller point, and that one's kind of hit recently. Uh, you know, like I said, 11 points, right? And Quinn Hughes, same sort of thing, all the shots, right? And it was funny because now I've got my brother on it as well. And, yeah, we've we've been having varying levels of luck. Like, when I'm doing well, he's doing poorly. And when I'm doing very poorly, he's doing really well. So somebody's always winning in our household, which is uh, always fun. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, in the upcoming game, I think you should bet that, you know, like, I think it's a safe bet that the Habs, or sorry, the Habs, that the Leafs are going to beat the Canucks. But I don't know, man. Like, check it check when the when the money line gets posted later like see what it's looking like see what the odds are go to oddshark.com to check maybe you can make pick the underdog pick the underdog canucks to get the win actually chris yeah and ian said it last week sorry go ahead i did that tonight i put a dollar on the canucks winning when they were down two nothing and the payout was going to be 14 bucks for a dollar if they came back. And I, I thought for a second that they were going to, they were maybe going to make it interesting toward the end. I texted you when you said, are you ready to record? I was like, this one's going to OT. And yeah, it did not. But yeah, that was, that was a riskier bet than I made. But yeah, know your limit, play within it.
Absolutely. I think uh, one of the things I'll just mention as we close out the show here, uh, just the trends that I've noticed, the Canucks, uh, when they're leading after two, they're 5-0. and When they're losing after two, they're 0-6. So, you know, throw a little bit of money on that. And the second period, 32 goals of the 84 goals scored in Canucks games are in the second period. The Canucks are getting outshot by, like, a count of 162 to 129 in the second periods early on this year. So bet the over in the second periods as well. That seems to be where the most goals are coming in. Um, so yeah, those are a couple ones for me to wrap up this segment. I'm uh, I'm all done here. There's some actual betting analysis, unlike what I what I was spewing there for the past like five yeah, minutes. Just, yeah, me and my brother, we bet different and one of us wins. That's a great, <laughs> great update for you in the betting segment. Yeah, sorry. I was. I'm. I'm just stoked about my wins. I think that's a good place to wrap up, Chris. Thanks again to our friends at Odd Shark for sponsoring this segment. For Chris Faber, my name is David Quadrelli. You have been listening to the Canucks Conversation.